0: Hello and welcome to the Newism podcast where we talk to social innovators and disruptors to discover how they would shape a new, more inclusive economic system fit for the modern world. This week we're talking to Patrick Holden, the founding director of the Sustainable Food Trust, which works internationally to accelerate the transition towards more sustainable food systems. A pioneer of the organic food movement, Patrick plays an instrumental part in the creation of policies, frameworks and measurements that are helping to build a more sustainable agriculture system across the world. His work is underpinned by his practical experience in agriculture on his 100 hectare farm, which is the longest established organic dairy farm in Wales. There is a little background noise in this episode, but it won't detract from the fascinating conversation
1: so welcome to the latest uh, podcast from the new is and i'm here in london speaking with patrick holden um about what our uh global economy might look like in the future but maybe patrick first you could just tell us a little bit about uh your journey and what what you're up to these days um well uh, i'm a londoner
2: my dad was a doctor and then trained to be a psychiatrist so i uh, lived in first of all in South London and then in North London because he changed places of work. And also, um, while he was in the course of his same training, he moved uh, around uh, into rural areas around London. Um, So I had my childhood experiences were really urban, but also with brief glimpses of nature on the childhood holidays which took me to the highlands and islands and to beautiful wild places. Great. And I think they sowed a seed uh, of interest in me uh, which through a series of connections led me eventually uh, into farming. One of them was that my dad was posted out to the San Francisco Bay Area, to Palo Alto, actually Stanford University, as a visiting professor in 1970. Uh And I went out and I was, you know, I didn't quite literally drink the Kool-Aid, but I was very influenced by the ideas that were prevalent at that time, Mm -hmm. actually inspired by them. And I came back to the UK in 1971, uh, convinced that we were on the edge of an ecological collapse and a social breakdown, and that the sensible thing to do would be to get back to the land and set up a rural commune mm. living self-sufficiently and happily ever after uh, so a group of six of us it was very californian yeah it was what well is britain's <laughs> california west yeah. wales except with quite a lot more rain <laughs> um, and uh, we a group of us bought a farm and moved there in um, june 1973 uh, that farm which is on a hill about 10 miles in from the coast in west wales is where I still am today. Uh, we've established. A, we're now the longest established organic dairy farm in Wales. We're making cheese, cheddar-style raw milk cheese from the milk of our Ayrshire cows.
1: Ah, because I'm in, you. M says the Ayrshire because I'm from Scotland. So native yeah. breeds,
2: very important. Indig- so it indigenous people and animals. So is it still a, still a, a commune? I would say it's still aspiring to be a community farm, but it's more become more family centric. Uh Um, But it's been through several chapters, you know. As these the commune, the full, full blown commune only lasted about eighteen months because we had some social tensions, as communes tend to experience, particularly in the seventies. I guess. Well, I think particularly any time, if you look at the long term um, survival of communities who live together, they tend to be glued together with spiritual sustenance so obviously the monasteries you know survive but actually it's quite hard to live in it would live very close in very close proximity with a group of other people
1: so the farm is is thriving and and it's based on you know environmental values valuing the 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 planet and 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 um, operating in a fair trade way i guess
2: yes right from day one we tried to apply the principles of sustainability in our farming systems But pretty soon we learned that producing food in that way wasn't as profitable as what all our neighbours were doing, which is piling on the chemical fertilisers and, you know, Mm. kind of generally cashing in on the common agricultural uh, subsidies, which were just introduced in 1975 when we joined the European Union. And so we thought, well, what are we going to do? Because we're competing against subsidised farmers who are being paid guaranteed prices for their milk we're producing less, but hopefully farming more in balance with nature. Mm -hmm. So we had the bright idea of writing down what we were doing, more or less on the back of an envelope at the time. Mm. But those prescriptions for sustainable agriculture became the organic standards. So I can think, I can claim to have written the world's first draft of the organic dairy standards. But with the benefit of hindsight, I can now see that in developing a separate market for food produced in a sustainable way we were treating the symptom not the cause of the problem, the cause being uh, that the damage caused by our intensive farming systems uh, isn't costed into the prices on the foods that we buy in the supermarket, the polluter doesn't pay and the subsidies which all the farmers were getting are not targeted on sustainable farming and so the combination of those two has led to the wrong thing paying and the right thing being less profitable unless you happen to be lucky like me and have a day job or have access to a premium market because our cheese is uh, quite reassuringly expensive or out of reach of ordinary consumers depending on how you look at it.
1: So that's, that's a cha- how, do, how do we change that then? Because obviously I think um, when you're describing the way organic food is is, is, is farmed, People understand that and we'll go, right, yes, there's challenges ahead with us and for the environment and for the planet. How do we change this, this, this subsidy? How do we change the situation so that your type of farming, which is sustainable, is actually subsidized as opposed to the non-sustainable farming? How do we change
2: that? Yes, that is the crucial question uh, because we, actually, our present economic system is dishonest. Um It's producing, it's resulting in sending perverse signals to both farmers and food buyers uh, because you'd think in a logical world, doing the right thing by the health of the planet and its people would pay better than doing the wrong thing. And in fact, the reverse is true. So what we need to do, or rather governments need to do, because this is where governments should step in, where there is so-called Market failure, as economists like to refer to it, is they need to correct those distortions and those um, perverse signals. They could do that. What they could do would, they, would be to redirect the common agricultural policy subsidies, of which I am a beneficiary. I get £80 an acre at the moment, so that's about £30,000 a year on my farm, just for not breaking the law. It's like a social security payment for farmers if the government was to attach conditions to the receipt of those monies, like I had to build soil carbon or increase biodiversity or employ more people in skilled employment, all those sorts of things, the, fair, the social element of fair trade, then in combination introduce uh, a polluter pays tax, so for instance nitrogen fertiliser which causes enormous damage to um, pollution of water to greenhouse gas emissions and to destruction of the microorganisms in the soil, if that was taxed in relation to the damage it causes then that would shift the balance of advantage towards more sustainable farming but unfortunately that hasn't yet happened and my job in part is lobbying politicians and persuading people in positions of influence to introduce those changes and I have by an accident of fate or good fortune or whatever, I've found myself over the last couple of years in a position of some influence, which is very interesting.
1: So uh, uh, when you're trying to lobby government, because once again what you're saying is makes absolute sense to anybody that doesn't know about farming, what, is, what you're saying makes sense, w- are governments listening to you or, 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 or are they just ignorant, this is a system and it's not until it's pointed out to them do they understand it or are they resistant or what, what, what's, the, what's the story from governments that you're hearing?
2: Well. I think they are starting to listen, um, not least because of this crazy world of Brexit in which we find ourselves. I mean, I'm a staunch Remainer, and so I was rather aghast at the vote. And uh, Notwithstanding that, um, I participated in a meeting at the House of Commons in November 2017 on uh, uh, it was the Alliance for Saving Our Soils. That was the group that brought us all together and Mm -hmm. I happened to give a short talk uh, immediately before Michael Gove spoke and we were sitting next to each other on the platform Ah. and uh, he immediately took a great interest in what I had to say and um, uh, since then he's continued to show a huge amount of interest in our ideas about how we could transition towards more sustainable food systems and I can talk more about the work that we are doing in which he has an interest, but the question you ask is the really important one. Will he act on what he's learned? Because I think he's deeply sympathetic to what we are trying to achieve. But what are the political forces against him introducing the Pluto Pays Principle in the form of say a nitrogen tax or redirecting the subsidies? Who are the vested interests who might argue against that? And what do the government as a whole think? Because what the Treasury thinks is very important and um, can we persuade the public that this is a good idea because it might have the effect of putting up the price of so-called cheap food which isn't really cheap at all because it's dishonestly priced yeah, yeah. and we're already paying a, a, already for in hidden ways for the damage caused to our public health and to the environment by the present misdirected subsidies but all that's very political so we have a job to do to persuade leaders and the public that this change is needed uh, because it'll it'll
1: touch us all financially so is, is Michael Gove by the way just just for those maybe who are international l- listeners is the environmental secretary yes. um, uh, in, the, in the British cabinet so if, if he's on board as a, lo- a Scot
2: actually did you know that yeah
1: I'm aware of that yes um, from Aberdeenshire I think correct
2: yes so he had a kind of rural background which maybe was one of the influences on him and I should say this that the Grampian region of Scotland is probably one of the last sort of bastions of sustainable agriculture where they still practice mixed farming. Oh, really? So that's nice.
1: Oh, good. Well, may- maybe it is his connection. But but if you have him on board and he's listening to you and understanding the issue, but you're, but, but you're saying maybe he's not going to act on it?
2: I'm saying, that so I'm saying he may act on it, but, but he, he has to persuade others. He has to persuade others. So are others listening? Yes. I mean, another... New friend is the president of the National Farmers Union, who's called Minette Batters. She's the first female president of the UK in the National Farmers Union. And she announced at the Oxford Farming Conference this January that she was setting a target for UK farmers to achieve net zero emissions by 2040, which is incredible that the National Farmers Union president should set that target. And we have had meetings with her since then we're actually co-hosting a conference with the National Farmers Union. I've been in this space for 40 years and I just would never have imagined that would have come to pass on the theme of enabling
1: farmers to reach
2: that target.
1: That's excellent. Good news. I guess other uh, areas that need to be convinced are, that are businesses, so the, the buyers, the supermarkets, and then of course a big job on the, uh, on, on the general public who... Yeah. Basically, I guess are, are hungry at lunchtime and just buy a sandwich and don't really look at where it's from or think about where it's from So there's a huge job to be done there. Yeah. So how, how are we getting on with business Is business listening or or are they just kind of going now? Nah, we just we're concerned with the bottom <coughs> line. That's all.
2: Well, it's it's fashionable to demonize food businesses, but I'm not going to do that um, Let's look at the position they find themselves in if you're a supermarket boss it's absolutely a race to the bottom at the moment you know um, if you're tesco you're looking at aldi and lidl and they're trying to undercut you um, even you if even if you go up market you have still got you've got to be very conscious of food pricing so it's a kind of race to the bottom and uh if you're the boss you're thinking well my shareholders want me to make more money the competition's you know right behind me and my customers want cheap food so what are they going to do they're going to push the price down yeah. and then farmers become, remain commodity slaves yeah. and nothing changes. So the question is what interventions would enable them or make them think twice about what they're doing at the moment and I think the answer is a combination of pressure from their own customers who have to get it about the reasons why it would be better to eat more sustainable food, both for the health, their health and the health of the planet and government intervention, so if the polluter pays tax was applied to the chemical inputs, then the price difference between the sustainable and organic food and conventional not very good food would narrow and then people would think, well I want to do my bit for myself and the planet, I'll pay the extra, but at the moment you could be paying three or four times as much for instance for a proper chicken than you are from a dreadful chicken that's had a life, a short life and a bad one, and people aren't prepared to pay that much
1: of a difference. So that, 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 that's interesting, so one key point is about educating the public, so how, how do we go about that, how do we go about making sure that the public understand, how it may be quite complicated, the difference between sustainable farming and non-sustainable farming? Well we have conversations like this and millions of people listen to the podcast
2: and then the world changes because everybody makes the decision that it's worth, they the individual person is the key to the change because we're like the cells of the food system and if we all change then the food system has to change with us so in a way we're the powerful ones but we have to step into the space of our power which can only happen if we're well informed about what's wrong with the present food system and how we can exercise our buying power to choose better food products for the future and that's not easy at the moment because there's a range of different certification schemes sending confusing messages yeah. which is the one that we can trust and which is the more sustainable food product and very often if you go into a supermarket there isn't even a choice because for instance if you buy salads at the moment in a supermarket all of them are grown hydroponically in rock wool. they're not even grown in soil anymore and that means that there are consequences to the micronutrition of the salads and it's not good for you and yet you can't buy anything else yeah. so you know we're, we're It's not so easy to navigate, this is what I'm trying to say. So we need better information on food products. We're doing something about that. Um, We need the government intervention. And we need to have a national debate, which is well informed. And on that theme, I don't know if you were aware of a recently published report by the um, Eat uh, Lancet Commission, which was an international report looking at uh, sustainable and healthy diets. And their recommendation for a sustainable, healthy diet uh, was, uh, I think, quite a long way from what actually would be the right thing to eat if, if you happen to live in the UK. So we are some of the messaging uh, that is out there at the moment is pushing young people in particular to move towards, say, vegan and vegetarian diets, not understanding that actually sustainably managed livestock. Uh, need to play a central role in our future food systems and instead they're thinking well I don't like all the industrial livestock production that's right and I'm I've been told that ruminant animals emit a lot of methane that's right too and therefore I think I should give up eating ruminant meat when in fact ruminants are cows and sheep that have a a, a stomach which is able to digest grass but in fact the grass-fed beef and sheep are a critical factor in maintaining the carbon bank of the soils which, predominant in the UK, which predominate in the UK. We've got about two-thirds of all the farmed land in the UK is grassland and that grassland is a huge carbon bank and if we plough it up to grow crops we'd release all that carbon into the atmosphere. So if we eat lamb or beef from sustainable agriculture, where actually our diet would then be part of the solution not part of the problem because the methane emissions are offset by the carbon sink of the soil but that isn't widely known so I bet you didn't know that until I just told I, I, you.
1: I, absolutely not. I, I, I kind of follow these discussions about you know about vegans and, and yeah. food and so on and so forth and so this is absolutely news to me. I've n- I have had no idea uh, uh, of, of the information you're giving me uh, but but that's you know it's you know, as you was talking about labelling, p- part of the challenge here is, is, is it's actually quite a complicated uh, story to tell, and um, it's, you know, so you kind of well it's okay to eat lamb on, on, on occasion, and so on. um and, and you know, salads in, in, in supermarkets are not something you can assume. It, um, so, but we live in, a, in, in an age, in a marketing age, where we're bombarded with messages every day. So the messaging. From what you're trying to get has to be simplified. Yeah. So you know, it's not just about labelling; it's about an understanding about the whole food chain, really, basically, and that that's what we're damaging and um, you know causing problems for the planet in the long run. Now that is a huge challenge. How do you how do you get over that one?
2: Yeah, you're right. And you know, all these marketing people talk about simple messaging; just you know, reduce it to its core elements. In some ways I think that's right, but on the other hand we we live in a world where everything is connected. Things work in systems and you can't separate one thing from another thing. So I think we all have to uh, become quite sophisticated in our understanding of agriculture. Um, But the way in which we communicate these uh, new ideas about complex systems needs to be as accessible as possible and using language that people can understand. So for instance, you know, you probably know about this, our own digestive system, the so-called microbiome, is a community of millions and millions of bacteria who outnumber the cells in our body by about three to one, and without which we could not digest our food. Well, the same thing is going on in the soil. So the soil is the stomach of the plant and the plant spends a third of its energy exuding sugary saps into the root zone of the plant which nourish a symbiotic community of bacteria and fungi upon which the plant depends for its own digestion. Well the same thing is going on in our stomach so what we need to do is to understand our own digestive system and through an understanding of that we can apply the sort of metaphor of that to un- better understand agriculture. Is that simple? No, it's not. Is it the truth? Yes, it is.
1: Well, so maybe though, no, but maybe maths or chemistry or, or learning French are, 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 are challenging difficult things. So it, sam- it sounds like this should be a very basic um, uh, item for discussion in, or teaching in, in primary schools, not even secondary schools, primary schools. This is how I did, I mean I was never taught about my digestive system at school, I'm sure you weren't either. So, so maybe that, maybe that's what sh- sh- a key thing that the government could do is introduce this into the curriculum of primary schools.
2: Well you bring up a very interesting point there because we, the Sustainable Food Trust, are also involved with education. And the way we got involved was a friend of mine who's a head teacher at a, a Church of England a State Primary School in the Thames Valley, read a book called Harmony. A New Way of Looking at Our World," written by Prince Charles. Um, This book outlines his, uh, I was going to say theory, but it's not a theory, it's the reality, his view uh, that the world is, everything in the world is connected through a series of laws and principles which govern all things in the universe, in the movement of the planets around the sun, which is sort of gravity and physical laws. Uh, the structures in nature uh, you have probably heard of the Fibonacci sequence and the golden ratio well the maths of the universe and nature is everywhere but we just forgot to see it in front of us and the Prince is basically saying we need to wake up to this these harmonious interconnections mm-hmm. and apply that awareness uh, into our lives and of course the best place to start to apply it is in schools so this guy Richard Dunn his school has been osted outstanding, which is, you know, the mm-hmm. educational yeah. thing for, mm-hmm. for a dozen years. Yeah. Yeah. And he read the book and he thought, even though I'm a really excellent school, the education system that I'm um, leading is not preparing our children, just to what you just said, to to understand the world in which they find themselves or to empower them to do something about it and better, make it a better place for the future.
1: So he took it upon himself to write this book, which is so to. You're holding a book which is called Harmony, uh, a new way of, of looking at and learning about our world.
2: So this is a guide for primary school teachers, not just in the UK, but anywhere in the world, to introduce an approach to learning which he calls inquiries of learning so instead of telling children things you get them to ask questions about themes and he set this out in a timetable for all year groups and all weeks of the year so that any primary school teacher could apply these inquiries of learning into their curriculum throughout the term and I think this is a book which could change the world.
1: So it possibly could. Here's one I'm just picking out in the book now, The Principle of Oneness, Africa's Traditions, uh, Rhythms, and Patterns. Fascinating. It looks really interesting. Now, just to to your point there about this could be the book that changes the world. Now, (coughs) if we go back and we're looking here about the newism, the the, the economist who has been accredited with inventing capitalism, Adam Smith, um, if you read Adam Smith, actually, he talks about values. He wasn't actually... He came back now and saw what was going on under the name of capitalism. I think he'd have a fit. But, because actually he was talking about there's some fundamental values and he wanted to use the circulation of money for, for, for the good of society. Um, um, so any new economic system has to be based on values, I, I, I think. Mm-hmm. And we have to start the discussion of... It's not about... You know what fin- what the financial sector does or doesn't, or how it's regulated, how it isn't, and how it's global or local or whatever. Actually, you need to start from what it, what 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 values do do we believe in? Yes, I agree. Is, is is this the sort of book under which you think we could base some of those values?
2: I do. I think it would um, inspire and embed in children uh, an understanding of values uh, by understanding their relationship to the world in which they find themselves, and I think that. Uh, the financial system should serve uh, the values of humanity Uh, and one example of that would be uh, in this discipline of what we are calling true cost accounting we looked at the hidden costs of the UK food system and we produced a report in 2017 and the headline was that for every pound which is spent on food in the UK there's another hidden pound which we're paying in hidden ways, uh, divided between damage to the environment, depletion of natural capital, and damage to public health, yeah. uh, which would double the cost of the food if we paid the true price. And um, the reason why we have this distorted and dishonest economic system because is because values haven't been embedded in it. So the first thing we need to do to Uh, address the problems of capitalism is to make capitalism honest because it's not even honest at the moment and that would be a step towards um, Adam Smith's values which are very absent in the present uh, global financial system where we're just really conducting an extractive industry, a mining operation depleting all the human and natural capital that we inherited,
1: squandering it like an inheritance and we forgot the balance sheet of nature. Absolutely and as you say the financial system should be serving humanity, it seems to be we are currently, humanity is serving the financial system currently so it's gone completely 180 degrees, it's in the wrong, it's in the wrong place. Totally right. Um, but how do we, you know, the, the critical thing is that you build these values We've got to get people to believe in these values and we all individually then start to lead different ways in which we live. Um, because, you know, I'm a believer in you, you each individual does something and then somebody else does it and then yeah. you, build, you build around these values. It's a question of communicating them though, isn't it? And telling the story better until we get to a point where people say, hey, you know what? We could create different measures. In terms of the values uh, we have uh, w- which which are better than a GDP, for example, which is a very rough measure of, of economic performance
2: yeah well D- GDP should reflect human capital skills um, well being, nature, all these um, elements of uh, the wealth of the world in which we are lucky enough to find ourselves, which we must put a—you know—people complain about putting a price on things, but actually, unless we—I'm not saying we should live by monetizing everything—that's the Oscar Wilde thing—but actually, we do need to value things because if we put no value on them, then we can degrade them without any consequence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so even, for instance, if, you know, if you take greenhouse gas emissions, we need to put a price on carbon. Uh, It's not that a carbon market will solve uh, runaway climate change on its own, but if we recognize and monetize the damage that's being done, actually that will help uh, in combination with acquiring a better set of values and embedding them in our own actions that will help address these uh, civilization threatening challenges which we're facing at the moment.
1: Yeah, completely understand, so you need some kind of common measure, if you like, it might be financial or other, so that we can actually understand the impacts of whatever it is we're doing.
2: That's right, Uh, and in that connection there is an internationally harmonised system of accounting, profit and loss and balance sheet, which all accountants and auditors use all over the world. We haven't got one of those for assessing the sustainability of farming, so one of the projects that the Sustainable Food Trust is leading is bringing together a group of farmers and land managers because every year we're, we're assessed by various certification schemes, in fact we have five audits a year, but they're all using a different framework and different categories, so we took it upon ourselves to develop an internationally harmonised framework for farm sustainability assessment and we want it to take the form of a score, which would be the composite of all the different categories, and hopefully have that score on a food label so you could look at a piece of beef or whatever it was, a carrot, mm-hmm. I used to be a carrot grower too, mm-hmm. and have a sustainability score on it which would empower you to buy a carrot or a to piece of beef whatever end. it is, which yeah. is better for the planet
1: and for your health. So now that, that we were talking earlier about you know measurement methodology and communication so that to me would be a much better way of doing it. I, I, I as with my simple uh, uh, um, mind in terms of buying food would understand that immediately if there was that type of score. It's, it's just great to hear that you know, you're, you're coming together because it is very, very confusing on food packaging. For for, for ordinary people, I think, yeah. like myself, I just kind of get my head around it. Um, and then and then you give up. Uh, yeah. Uh, and you, then you go, hey, I just want a sandwich. Yeah,
2: I well, just want something and I, I, you know, just stay in my comfort zone. Yeah,
1: so if, if, if somehow, if you were all coming together like that and creating something like that, which although complicated in its, in its methodology, is simple to explain, I think you, you, you're on a, a winner, to be honest.
2: Yeah, it is simple to explain. So I'll give you an example. We've divided sustainability into ten categories, one of which is soil. Mm-hmm. So how do you measure soil fertility and health? So we thought, well, we can't have too many measurements because then you'd have boffins and scientists you know, doing it and it would be expensive and mm-hmm. the farmer would feel disempowered. So we thought, what are the three measurements that would capture soil health and we thought well one of them is soil organic matter which is you know you can measure that you take a core sample of soil or these days you may even be able to do it from a satellite technology and various things maybe there'll be an iphone app one day (laughs) but you need to measure the impact of your farming practice on soil carbon that's one a second one is biodiversity of the soil and you can do that through what's called a proxy which would be an earthworm count. So if you measure the earthworm content of a square foot of soil or metre of soil then you've got a number there but that's means that if you've got lots of earthworms, you've got all the other things beneath them because that's at the top of the tree, if you see what I mean. And thirdly, is the speed at which and the time of which water infiltrates through soil because if you've got a healthy soil, it'll hold a lot of water, but also the water will run through it quite quickly. Those three measurements will capture a good picture of the fertility of our soils. And we want all farmers all over the world to use those three metrics and then I can go to a farmer in Australia or in South America yeah. wherever and I say yeah. it's your soil metric they can go it's X and I can go oh mine's Y
1: right. and we're communicating with each other we've got a common language it's a beautiful thing yeah this is really fantastic It's so constructive and I think it's very important that social entrepreneurs do this it's it's about how you can be practically constructive to move something forward now obviously the, the issue with food is we all have to eat it as human beings to 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 live. So it's it's absolutely fundamental then to any e- new economic system that we're having a look at. Right. It. it is it's how we how our food is 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 grown or developed and how we eat it and how we consume it etc. Vital. So the fact that you're doing this in the practical is is is, is great news. We need to tell the world about it. And.
2: Farming, if you think about planet Earth and its, you know, critical biodiversity depletion, which is in the news at the moment, the insects and yeah. everything else, what do you think's gonna change that? Food and farming, because farming is the main occupant of the surface, the temperate surface of planet Earth. So if we want to save the rapidly diminishing biodiversity on the planet, we have to change the way we farm in such a way that the future farming systems can coexist with nature. And that's what it's all about. But in order to measure whether we're successful in that, we need to, mani- to measure it in a way which
1: is a common, harmonious
2: framework. And
1: that's important. And do you think this harmonious thing you're applying that to farming? And I completely get it, and I I, I think it's very inspiring to 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 listen to you. Um, do you think it can be applied elsewhere? I'm thinking, you know, fishing is yep. a, a, a presumably close to farming, but can we can we shift it over into into the health sector into into, into other sectors? Because obviously, uh, uh, you know, governments will tell you publicly or privately, certainly privately, that they're terrified about the potential health uh, cost of health in the in the future. But actually it's because we're living unhealthy lives. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you were to eat properly or, or, or um, you know, be more active, um, then the, health, the, health, the cost of health the health services would go down. So you can apply, presumably, these harmonious values and, and system to that as well.
2: I think health is probably one of the most potent examples of how we need to spread this kind of thinking, because if you look at how much the Treasury is spending on the National Health Service, which would be better named uh, the National Disease Treatment Service, Uh, it's hundreds of of billions. Um, And the argument we need to make to the Chancellor is if you invested in sustainable agriculture you could save money on the NHS treatment bills and that's a financial argument which hopefully would have some traction. Of course the problem is that Governments tend to think in four-year timescales, yeah. and some of the stuff that we're talking about here would
1: be it's a longer long outcome thing than that. A long term. I think that's a real challenge. I mean, I, wo- I work in the area of, of, of sport some of the time, and it is it, quite it's quite clear that the impact that sport can have in terms of getting people active, because so you know the whole issue around obesity and lack of activity is going to cost the health service now and in the long term. A, a, a huge amount of money but the one thing i've noticed that governments will lo- listen to all over the world if you could say to them do you know what we c- can save you money yeah they, they immediately will engage with you so the, the whole issue about you know just as you're describing the farming actually uh mr yeah. government or mrs government will 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 save you a lot of money well, i think that, that that's a, a good um uh, uh, potential for engagement
2: well lady eve Balfour, who was the niece of Prime Minister Balfour and actually the family used to live in the lowlands of Scotland, uh, the founder of the Soil Association organisation I used to work for, mm-hmm. she described agriculture as the primary health service and related to that another man who was a great thinker and a pioneer of sustainable agriculture uh, called Sir Albert Howard who was sent to India Uh, at the turn of the century to teach the peasant farmers in northwest India Western methods of production, but who had the humility to realise that they knew more than he did about sustainable agriculture. He said, we should come to understand that parasites, pests and diseases are nature's professors of good husbandry because they reveal to us our management deficiencies. So in other words, if you see a weakness in yourself, if you get flu or something like that, You don't say, let's take an antibiotic or some other suppressant to get rid of it. You say, what am I doing in my diet or in my health management which has caused me to get this disease? And if we applied that thinking in agriculture, instead of just pouring on the pesticides and suppressing all these symptoms of poor nutrition, crop nutrition, animal nutrition and management, we would transform our agriculture and food systems for the future.
1: So this is very exciting. I think we have to kind of draw this conversation to a close, unfortunately, because it's really fascinating, the insights and and learnings that that, that certainly I've had in in the past uh, half hour, 40 minutes. I think there's two things here that's crucial into the newism going forward that you're sharing. One is about creating a a sustainable uh, agricultural farming policy for the world, um, uh, and and part of that's measurable. And secondly, um, it's about harmony. Um, and how we live harmon- I- I- in harmony, so that that I mean this is another whole half hour forty minute discussion it 's like well what 's the balance between rural and cities and and, and, and and you know how much power are we using and, et etc et etc et but what you 're saying is about how we live in harmony as human beings with each other respect each other. And so that can become a, a, a fundamental block or uh, or brick in, in in our in our values for economic system going forward. So, so thank you for that. I mean, it's it's been really really interesting and, and inspiring listening to you, and um, certainly for, for my own personal side. Now I'm go- I'm going to be in shops looking at, at labels and and following you and. Uh, am supporting you in terms of in terms of getting labelling, getting an understanding of this or, or, of this issue.
2: Sign up to our um, fortnightly newsletter on the Sustainable Food Trust, and you know we we so send out stuff to our. So our
1: if, if if people wanted to do that, that's just, just th- visit our website. Yes, yeah, sustainablefoodtrust.org. Sustainablefoodtrust.org. I would yeah. encourage people to do that. I will certainly do that, if not today, tomorrow. And that uh, fascinating.
2: And we you can follow me as well on our farm. We've got. Um, Havod Cheese, which is our, uh, that's our Instagram, yeah. and we post on that, and that's quite interesting because, you know, a lot of what I'm all about really is, is derived from my experience of over 40 years on, on the farm in Wales, mm-hmm. which is a, um, an amazing privilege to have a relationship with land over that length of time, you know, because you see the impact of your actions on yeah. the biodiversity, the mm-hmm. soil fertility, everything.
1: And I, I suspect your, your journey there wouldn't have been straightforward either. You'd have had ups and downs and oh, yeah. changes. So it is all about, as I think, as, as human beings learning as as as, as we go forward, exactly. um, and and then applying what we learn to 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 uh, to our work and to our uh, uh, surroundings. But again, we come back to it, it has to be based on a set of values. It can't be just to learn something and therefore we pollute the, the whole atmosphere because we've learned something that we think is clever. So it it, it it is all about the the future, and it is you know I, I agree it is it is long term. Governments have to start thinking long term about legacies of policies, good policies that they might um, might implement. But again, Patrick, thanks so much. I really enjoy talking to you.
2: No a pleasure, it was mine as well. Thank you for
1: talking to me. No no problem. Delighted.
0: We hope you enjoyed hearing Patrick's views on how we can live more harmoniously with the planet and with one another. Join us next week when we'll be talking to another exciting social entrepreneur. And if you have a moment, please do rate and review us on iTunes so that more people can discover the extraordinary potential of social entrepreneurs to create a fairer economic system.